Hello, this is Shirley Comer from Nursing 330, and this is our slidecast slash podcast for the thorax and lungs. When you're starting a thorax and lungs assessment, we normally start on the posterior chest. The reason being because you get a more, uh, you get a purer assessment when you use the posterior chest as opposed to the anterior. In the anterior, we have to contend with um, heart sounds and gastric sounds and other things that may obscure the uh, lung sounds. So we usually start in the back at the posterior chest and we uh, uh, do a complete assessment there and then we repeat it on the anterior and um, the lateral chest. So when we start at the posterior chest, the first thing we're going to do is inspection. And in inspection, we're going to observe the shape and configuration of the chest. We're going to look at the spinous processes of the uh, of the spinal column. They should be in a nice straight line. If there is scoliosis, there will be a side-to-side S-curve in the, s- in the spine. Um, kyphosis is a normal curve that happens at the uh, in the cervical spine, but if it's exaggerated, it may be an indication of a musculoskeletal issue. Uh, And lordosis is a normal curvature in the small of the back, and again, if that is exaggerated, that can uh, indicate some sort of pathology. Um, In the the lung and uh, thorax and lung assessment, this is the first time we get to use all four of our assessment techniques, inspection, palpation, percussion, and auscultation. So we want to be sure that we proceed in that order. So in inspection also, we're going to be looking at the thorax to make sure that it's symmetrical, that the ribs are sloping downward as they should be, and that the scapulae are placed symmetrically. If one scapulae is higher than the other, it may indicate uh, scoliosis. Um, also looking for scoliosis, you want to look at the height of the shoulders. The shoulders should be at the same height, and the hip bones, uh, the crest of the ileal spine, should be at the same height. Uh, if they're not, that may indicate scoliosis. You want to inspect the chest diameter. The chest diameter should be uh, less than the transverse diameter. So it shouldn't be perfectly round. It should be oval-shaped. A barrel chest is when you have a, a, the diameter is increased and you have the uh, angle greater than 90 degrees. Um, You end up with a round shaped chest versus an oval shaped chest. Um, This occurs often in folks who have chronic lung disorders that cause hyperinflation such as emphysema. Uh, Also if there is uh, hypertrophied or over development of the neck and trapezius muscles that may also indicate a hypertrophy of the uh, lungs with the COPD. However, it could just indicate that somebody's a bodybuilder, so you have to be careful uh, when you're doing that particular assessment. This slide shows a picture of different types of chest configurations. The first up in the left-hand corner shows a normal chest uh, in a normal adult. Right next to that, on the upper right-hand side, shows that barrel chest where the shape has moved to round versus oval. In the uh, bottom left, the uh, funnel chest shows that the uh, the spinal the serv- or the spinal section of the uh, chest has uh, has uh, 
become a little bit concave, and so uh, so we end up with a sunken chest look. And then with the pectoris carturnium, which is called pigeon chest, you end up with the breastbone being uh, sunken, and the there is a little um, the scapulae are pushed out because there is a a, a bowing in the back uh, around the cervical spine of the ribs. The bottom two are considered normal variations. They don't necessarily indicate any kind of pathology unless they're interfering with respirations. So also continuing an inspection, we want to observe the body position the patient is assuming. Um, if a person is sitting forward with their hands on their knees and what's called a classic triad or tripod position, that could indicate shortness of breath or a COPD because they're uh, optimizing their the space that their lungs have to expand by assuming that position. Orthopnea is well known to you as the position where someone can't lie flat, where they need to have the head raised in order to be able to breathe. And that is again associated with shortness of breath. Um, the lungs can't fully expand when they're lying down, and so that's why they end up uh, having their head propped up. Um, we also want to look at the skin color and condition. There'll be a large amount of skin. Uh, that we can observe all at one time during this examination because obviously we're not going to do this with someone dressed. We need to see skin when we're doing this chest assessment. Uh, and you want to note the respiratory rate and the character of the respirations. You want to then move to palpation. Do you want to palpate the exterior um, chest wall? You want to start at the top and move down the chest, placing your hands on the chest and noticing if there are any areas of softness that shouldn't be soft, any areas of roughness, if there's any temperature differences in the skin, uh, and if there's any uh, bruising or lesions present. You also want to place your hands at about T T9, which is right about at the bottom of the scapula. And you want to ask the patient to breathe in and note that your hands move equally far apart. If, it, if they don't, then we have unequal chest expansion, and this may be present in atelectasis, pneumonias, ribs, rib fractures, or any trauma in the chest, pneumothoraxes, or any other kind of pathology that interferes with respiration. This slide shows a picture of doing chest expansion. You place your hands down at uh, T9. Uh, you see here in the picture they've got uh, the thumbs located almost directly over the spinal column. Ask the patient to take a deep breath in and their fingers should move equally far apart. The next thing we want to do in palpation is check for tactile fremitus. Tactile fremitus is a palpable vibration that you can feel on the skin as the result of the vibrations of the larynx. Um, you use the palms of your hands and you ask the patient to repeat a resonant uh, term such as 99 or blue moon. And you place your hands over the uh, lung field. You move from the apices to the bases uh, and cover the entire lung field while they're saying 99 and blue moon or blue moon. And you should be able to feel a resonant buzzing sensation on your hands. If there is unequal fremitus, it would mean that the air transmission is unequal in, that, in those areas of the lung. So there would be a reason for that. And 
most of the tests that we do here using uh, palpation and percussion in the lung are testing for something called consolidation. And consolidation is a general term that incorpor incorporates anything that might make the lung tissue more solid. So for example, normally lung tissue is air-filled. Things that would make the lung tissue more solid might be fluid, it might be a tumor, it might be fibrosis, it could be atelectasis, it could be empyema, it could be any of those structures, so or any of those phenomenon. So consolidation is a general term that encompasses all of these things. So if we have unequal fremitus, there may be consolidation in the lung tissue. And at that point, then, we would look to a chest x-ray, hopefully, to help us figure out what kind of consolidation they have. If there's decreased fremitus, generally, it may indicate that there are, there's a pleural effusion, a thickening of the chest wall, pneumothorax thorax or emphysema present, which would just generally not transmit the sounds as well. If there's increased fremitus, especially in one particular area, that is a, a good indication of consolidation because the more solid the, the tissue, the more likely it is to transmit air or transmit the sound uh, quicker than air would. Um, if there's crepitus on the lung, uh, on, on the uh, skin as you are doing this tactile fremitus, meaning that you put your hands on the skin and you have a popping sensation, that is probably subcutaneous emphysema. And subcutaneous emphysema happens when you get air that has somehow leaked into the um, subcutaneous tissue. This happens reasonably frequently in folks who are intubated or have trachs when air uh, from the mechanical ventilation somehow makes its way uh, underneath the skin and into the subcutaneous tissue of the chest. It can also happen in uh, emphysema, especially if there's been a bleb uh, that has burst, or in um, pneumothoraxes or uh, pneumothorax or a penetrating chest wound where there is a possibility of leakage of air in between the layers of the skin and the subcutaneous tissue. Subcu subcutaneous emphysema is generally not considered uh, severe or serious unless it's covering a large surface of the body because if that's the case, then there's a large leakage of air. If it's just a small area, then it's a small leakage and it's not considered as uh, uh, as important. Um, if you do have a large area that needs to be addressed uh, because we don't want any air leaking out of the lung uh, into the subcutaneous tissue. This is a picture of uh, the examiner doing the tactile fremitus. She's starting at the apices, which are, uh, I'm sorry, at the bases, which are at the top of the lungs, and the bases, which are at the bottom. And she's mo moving her way down, l feeling for uh, the vibrations as the patient says 99. So you want to palpate the entire chest wall. You want to note tenderness, changes in skin temperature, moisture, any lumps, masses, or skin lesions that you might see. Next, you want to move to percussion. You want to percuss the entire chest, moving from the apices to the bases. So you want to start at the top of the of the chest uh, cav or the chest uh, thorax, and you want to move down. 
you want to percuss at about five centimeter intervals and you want to move from side to side. So you would start under the left clavicle, for example, and then move under the right clavicle and vice versa, moving all the way down. You do want to avoid ribs, um, the clavicle and the scapula because of course those are bone and what you're actually listening for is the resonance that you're going to hear over the healthy lung tissue, not the dullness that you would hear over a bone. So you need to go in between the ribs. Um, in a heavily muscled or obese patient, it may be difficult to hear that resonant sound. Um, you may have to strike your finger harder in order to find that. Uh, and if you hear dullness over an area that you would normally expect to be resonant, then you want to be sure, number one, that you're not over a bone by accident. Uh, and then you also want to listen for the sound that you're hearing. Normal healthy lung tissue has a resonant sound. A dull thud um, is an abnormal sound in the chest. And again, that is another indication of consolidation. And some examples of consolidation could be pneumonia, pleural effusions, atelectasis, tumors, uh, etc. If the lungs are hyperinflated, as in COPD, you may hear hyperresonant sound over the chest. After you have generally percussed the lungs, listening for that resonant tone, you then want to use the uh, techniques that you've learned to do diaphragmatic excursion. Diaphragmatic excursion is a phenomenon that you are where you are trying to locate the diaphragm during respiration. You want to determine the position of the diaphragm in its highest position and then at low, its lowest position and then you want to note the difference between the two. One thing to be very clear on when you are doing diaphragmatic excursion is that you have to have a very good mental picture of exactly where the diaphragm is going to be at the end of inspiration and at the end of expiration so you know where to percuss. This is a little bit counterintuitive and students sometimes have difficulty um, picturing this in your head. Because the thorax is a negative pressure system, meaning that the pressure inside the lungs is much less than the pressure in the outside atmosphere. You, the lungs move in a paradoxical fashion to what you might consider to be an intuitive uh, interpretation of how they might work. So for example, the diaphragm, when it contracts, moves downward. So during inspiration, the diaphragm contracts and moves downward and at the end of inspiration it is at its lowest position. By moving downward it helps pull air in through the mouth and the, and the nose to uh, fully inflate the lungs. At the end of expiration, when all the air has left the lungs, the diaphragm is relaxed and it is in its high position. So it contracts and shortens during inspiration and relaxes and elongates during expiration. Be sure that you're very comfortable about those two concepts. So when you're doing diaphragmatic excursion, what you want to do is you want to find the diaphragm in those two positions and you do that by using percussion 
and then you mark those two and you measure the difference. So you want to ask the patient to take a deep breath in and hold the breath. You would then start, uh, you can start either high or low. I believe your book tells you to start high. So start high around, um, around T, uh, T6 or 7 and move your way down in between the, the, the ribs hearing that hyper that resonant sound until you hear a sound that's a little duller the diaphragm is a muscle so it's going to be more solid than the air-filled lung less solid than bone so the sound will change from the resonant to a slightly duller sound when you hear that change you mark that you can use a marking pencil don't use permanent marker but you can use a regular pen or a marking pencil on them um, and then tell the patient they can breathe. Don't, don't make them hold their breath any longer than they have to. After they've gotten their breath back, um, ask them to take a deep breath, blow all the air out of their lungs, and don't take another breath until you ask them to. This way their lungs will remain empty. Start from the mark you already made because you already found the diaphragm in its low position. So start from the mark you already made and work your way up until you hear the slightly duller sound of the diaphragm, mark it, and then tell the patient they can breathe. There should be, the normal span is between three to five centimeters, but it can be much higher in uh, athletes because their lung capacity uh, has been, they've trained their lung capacities to uh, increase exponentially in order to grab all the oxygen they can um, for their muscles. So, but in a normal adult, the normal uh, span should be somewhere between three to five centimeters. You want to mark this on both sides of the chest, noting that the right side will be a little bit higher because the liver displaces the diaphragm upward just a little bit on that right side. And you want to mar measure each. They should be equal on both sides. If they're unequal, if, if diaphragmatic excursion is unequal, that would tell you that one of the lungs isn't expanding as well as the other lung. And that could indicate um, COPD, pl uh, pleural effusions, uh, atelectasis, a pneumothorax, um, anything that might be impeding the normal uh, expansion of both of those lungs. This slide shows a, a picture of where the diaphragm is in inspiration, where it is in expiration. You see at the end of inspiration, the diaphragm is low. At the end of expiration, the diaphragm is high. And keep those pictures in mind in order so that you can uh, very clearly give directions to your patient for so that you can determine their diaphragmatic excursion. Now that we've finished inspection, palpation, percussion, we can move to auscultation. Note that auscultation is the last thing that you do. Most of us are used to doing auscultation um, as the only uh, thorax assessment, but auscultation here is the last of the four assessments that you'll do. You want to be very familiar with the f normal breath sounds. There are three types of normal breath sounds that you'll hear in the chest. The first is the bronchial, or sometimes called the tracheal. You hear these over the large airways. If you take your stethoscope and place it over your trachea, or uh, right where your main stem bronchi break off, um, right above the sternum, um, and take a deep breath in and out, you'll hear very loud, very rough sounding breath sounds. Those are your uh, brachial 
I'm sorry, your bronchial or your tracheal um, breath sounds, and those are normal over the large airways. Over medium-sized airways, you'll hear bronchovesicular sounds. So these would be over the, after the main stem bronchi have uh, branched off over the bronchioles, you will hear uh, bronchovesicular. And over the lung periphery, basically over the alveoli, you'll hear vesicular sounds. Now, when we say that the chest sounds are clear or the chest sounds are normal, what we mean is that we're hearing vesicular breath sounds. So when you do your write-up, I'll expect to for you to name your normal breath sounds with the correct name. If somebody has COPD and they've developed significant damage to the alveoli, you often hear bronchovesicular sounds out in the periphery of the lung because those alveoli, which were the, the small bronchi, or the small airways, have now become enlarged into medium-sized airways, especially if there's blebs form, for, uh, bleb formations as a result of the COPD. So when you may hear, may have heard some folks say that um, their patient has harsh breath sounds. And this is what they mean by harsh breath sounds. You're hearing bronchovesicular breath sounds. In smokers, you can often hear these bronchovesicular breath sounds in areas of the lung that you shouldn't normally be able to hear them. And that is, again, an indication of damage done to the periphery of the lung tissue as a result of the nicotine and the other um, contaminants that are involved in cigarette smoke. So normal breath sounds are vesicular breath sounds. When you have diminished breath sounds, um, there, some of the reasons that those might occur uh, is that the bronchial tree has been obstructed by secretions, mucus, uh, or a foreign body. They may have emphysema, and in emphysema, the lungs are hyperinflated, and there's very little air movement um, sometimes in folks that have severe cases of emphysema. You'll hear very, their breath sounds will be very soft. Uh, coming in and out because there just isn't a lot of air being moved in and out. Sometimes in those folks who have emphysema, the, uh, they'll have a wheezing that you'll hear on initial assessment, and um, when those wheezes go away, it's not always a good thing. It may be that there's just not enough air to move through the lungs anymore to produce the wheezing sound. It doesn't necessarily mean that, that the condition that was causing the wheezes has corrected itself. So the absence of wheezing when there was wheezing in an emphysema patient is not necessarily a reason to rejoice. You want to do a complete and full assessment on them to make sure that their condition isn't in actuality worsening rather than um, in increasing because of the loss of those wheezes. Um, sound transmission can often be obscured in different types of lung uh, uh, disease states, and uh, their breath sounds might be absent because they're not breathing, so be very careful about that. Make sure that, that you do uh, assess their breathing. Um, adventitious breath sounds are what uh, is an, a synonymous term for abnormal breath sounds. So the adventitious breath sounds that uh, we'll talk about. These are the abnormals. And it's extremely important that you are familiar with all of these advantageous sounds and that you know what causes those sounds, what they will sound like, and, and at what point during the, res the respiratory cycle you may hear these sounds. And you'll need to know, um, especially for testing purposes, 
what types of disease uh, diagnoses may be associated with these types of breath sounds. So the first one I want to talk to you about are fine rails. Um, they're commonly called crackles. I would prefer that you learn and use the correct term for these lung sounds, which is fine rails. That way it's not, um, you, you, when we get into coarse rails, you'll understand that they're connected. They're not a separate phenomenon. Crackles is a descriptive term. It's what they call an onomatopoeia. It's a term that sounds like the, the phenomenon that it's describing. So crackles have a crackly sound, uh, and that's why they're called crackles uh, by many people. But I would prefer you use the term fine rails. So crackles or rails are uh, fine rails are a short popping sound that happen at the end of inspiration. So it's at the very end of inspiration that you'll hear these popping sounds. It's caused by fluid um, that's collapsing the alveoli during expiration. So during expiration, when there's no air inside the alveoli to keep them inflated, fluid on the outside of the alveoli are pushing down on the alveoli and causing them to collapse. Surfactant, which is a sticky substance inside the alveoli that's supposed to keep it open, um, it kind of glues the two sides of the alveoli together and so when you take another breath and the air pressure comes in and is pushing air into the alveoli it makes a popping sound when it opens those alveoli back up again. So these types of um, sounds, these fine rails, are common with pneumonia when there is a rush of fluid to the uh, inflamed cells in the lung that you know, fluid that contains the lymph and the white blood cells that is a normal response to infection causes a, f a greater fluid buildup on the outside of those alveoli. It's common in CHF when folks have pleural effusions as the result of pump failure. It's also common in atelectasis. So um, fine rails happen at the end of inspiration. They're caused by small amounts of fluid. They're common in pneumonia, CHF, and atelectasis. Now, coarse rails are also caused by fluid, but they're caused by more fluid. Fine rails were caused by a little bit of fluid. Coarse rails are caused by a lot of fluid. And you might have hear, heard some folks um, use the term medium rails. And medium rails is just uh, means that there's more fluid than fine rails, less fluid than coarse rails. It's a bit subjective, but you may hear that term from time to time. So coarse rails are similar to crackles, but there's, it's more of a bubbling sound than a popping sound. And you'll hear it earlier in inspiration because of the fact that there's more fluid. It's caused by just a larger amount of fluid. Um, it is more common, uh, these are the sounds that you hear when someone is in pulmonary edema. So, and they're common with C in CHF patients um, or in patients who have a hyper, hypervolemia um, or other kinds of, any kind of pump failure um, with the heart. So your coarse rails are more bubbling sound than cracking. You hear them earlier in inspiration, but they are heard in inspiration. And they're caused by a greater amount of fluid than crackles, but it is fluid that causes this sound. Next are ronchi. Ronchi are sometimes called gurgles. 
I especially don't like the term gurgles. I refuse to use the term gurgles. So I would prefer that you learn the correct proper term, which is ronchi. And ronchi are a snoring sound that's heard mainly during expiration. Rails were heard during inspiration, ronchi heard during expiration. And they're caused by secretions in the bronchial tree. It depends on how thick the, th the secretions are as to how pronounced the snoring sound is. If the, s if the sometimes ronchi can be mistaken for rails if the secretions are very, very thin, in which case then the air moving through the thin secretions can sound like bubbling. And the way that you would distinguish them though is that you expect rails during inspiration, not during expiration. If you're hearing them during expiration and other symptoms are t such as a productive cough or um, you know, copious secretions when you're suctioning indicate to you that secretions are an issue for this patient, you can make the distinction between the two. Now, it's not impossible for a person to have ronchi and rails at the same time, which does make it more difficult to um, be able to distinguish. But remember that rails happen during inspiration, ronchi happen during expiration. Um, the last sound I want to talk about is wheezing. Wheezing is a kind of a, a, whis a musical whistling sound that's heard mainly on expiration, but it can be heard throughout the entire uh, respiratory cycle. And it indicates turbulent blood flow. It's caused by a constriction in the bronchial tree. So it's usually caused by, it can, it, it, it can be caused, uh, for example, if you're hearing the um, wheezes as a result of an asthma attack, it's uh, the bronchospasms of the muscles that are lining the inside of the bronchi are spasming, I'm sorry, the outside of the bronchi are spasming and are causing a constriction in the airway. There's also usually inflammation on the inside of the airway. So you end up trying to push the same amount of air that would normally go through a, uh, a wind tunnel through a tiny garden hose. And that's how you end up with the whistling sound that's present uh, in um, wheezes. So you can have wheezes um, that are very dramatic, as in um, bronchospasms that accompany asthma, uh, an acute asthma episode. Um, you can have wheezing in emphysema, bronchitis, or in any kind of situation where there, there might be uh, bronchospasms. After you've completed your auscultation of the posterior chest, then you would repeat your assessment on the anterior chest. Um, and don't forget the lateral chest also. So when, you're in th when you move around to the anterior chest, you'd again observe the shape and configuration. You want to look at the costal angle. The costal angle is uh, where the ribs attach to the uh, sternum. And that should be less than 90 degrees. The ribs uh, should be in the correct position. You want to observe the facial expressions on the patient when you're uh, doing the anterior chest exam to make sure that uh, they're, they're uh, not showing any signs of shortness of breath. Um, you want to look at their level of consciousness, which can be a very good indication of, of uh, hypoxia. If they're drowsy, irritable, or confused, that's something that you should be considering, whether their oxygen saturation is uh, sufficient in to provide their brain with enough oxygen in order to uh, maintain their level of consciousness.
You will look at their skin color and condition, and you will note the quality of the respirations and the use of any ancillary muscles. Um, you also, then you, you would follow through with uh, palpating and percussing the anterior chest, although you don't do the um, diaphragmatic excursion on the anterior chest because you wouldn't be able to locate the diaphragm like you are like you would in the back there are too many structures in the way in the anterior chest uh, when you're auscultating the anterior chest you do the same you listen for a full respiratory cycle over the entire uh, anterior chest you want to listen in at least eight to ten spots uh, on both sides of the chest and laterally uh, you should hear vesicular lung sounds over most of the anterior chest and you want to ask your patient to take the deep breath in and out of their mouth. You don't want them to take their deep breath in through their nose. Um, the reason being that if they have any uh, problems with the air, blow, air flow through their nose, such as a deviated septum or any congestion in their nose or any sinus issues, you can create sounds, referred sounds in the lungs that are really coming from the head uh, and you may be, may be misled as to the actual nature of their uh, of their lung sounds. So, sound, so the air should come in and out through their mouth. If they're making no you also want to make sure that your patient is taking a, uh, a soft or a quiet breath in and out through the nose. Some folks in an attempt to help you will make noise when they breathe in and out and we don't want any vocalization uh, that could create a referred sound into the chest that might mislead us as to the lung sound so we would ask them to just take a quiet breath. After you have listened for um, breath for your breath sounds you want to um, do a technique called tactile fremitus in tactile fremitus, you are listening for the uh, sounds that are being emanated from the larynx. This is one time when you do want vocalization um, in order to determine whether air, whether air is, uh, or the sound is being conducted equally throughout the lung fields. There's actually three different techniques that you need that you could that you could use. Um, choosing one of the three is um, good enough for your examinations, but um, the three types are agophony. Agophony is when you ask the patient to say E, and as you listen through the stethoscope, you should be able to hear the E reasonably clearly. If it changes sound, uh, or if it sounds different from one side to the other, then that may indicate consolidation. In bronchophony, you ask them to say 99 or blue moon, similar to when you did the tactile fremitus, and you listen, you, sh you should be able to hear those two terms, but they should be muffled. If you hear them too clearly, again, that might be an indication that there's consolidation in that particular area. And then the last of the three techniques is something called whispered pectoraleloquy, which is kind of a fun name to say. And in this one, you have the patient whisper one, two, three. One, two, three is how you have them do it. And you should be able to hear the one, two, three, but it should be muffled. Uh, if you hear it too clearly, then uh, again, it may be an indication of consolidation because again, consolidation will transmit sound better uh, or faster than the air-filled lung usually will. So some age-specific considerations to, consi to uh, in, in the thorax. Uh, in infants and children, 
Uh, respiratory rates are often irregular, especially when they're sleeping or if they're eating, uh, such when an infant's feeding, their uh, respiratory rates can vary. Um, take a full minute, and as long as it averages to the appropriate rate, that's considered uh, um, normal for that uh, age group. You may hear bronchovesicular sounds over the entire lung in a child or, a, or a, an infant because of their thin chest wall. Um, you do want to use an appropriate sized stethoscope also when you're listening to small children or infants. You want a, a neonate um, stethoscope. If you use an adult stethoscope, um, you'll almost always hear bronchovesicular sounds because the stethoscope is so much larger in proportion to their chest wall than it is to an adult. Um, in s especially in younger children, when you hear crackles consistently in the upper uh, lung fields, that is consistent with cystic fibrosis. So they would want to be assessed for uh, cystic fibrosis, uh, other symptoms of that. Strider is a very high-pitched inspiratory sound that you don't need a stethoscope to hear. Um, that's uh, that's uh, a characteristic sound that something like this is... <laughs> And it's an indication that there is difficulty with inspiration. Um, and what happens it when somebody has strider is that they're uh, having trouble getting air in and it's impossible for them to get the air out. So they are hyperinflating the lungs, uh, but the lungs are pretty soon not going to have anywhere to go. So it's uh, associated in kids with croup, um, uh, which is another name for... Um, well, croup is a good name. Epiglot epiglottitis, uh, which is a swelling in the epiglottis, a foreign body obstruction. If they have uh, pertussis, which is whooping cough, they may also develop strider. This is an emergency, and uh, w strider is one of those things where you see in movies where they take kids into a, a steam-filled bathroom in order to uh, deal with the respiratory problem the child is having. That is one of the appropriate treatments for strider because it helps with the decrease the swelling that's causing uh, the di respiratory difficulty with the strider in the first place. However, if you have the opportunity to get the child to an emergency room or if they're an asthmatic child and they have a nebulizer available, make sure to, to do that. Um, but steam in the meantime is a fine choice, but it may not be your only choice if it's not working. Uh, pregnant women, uh, their thorax often widens, so they may have a bit of a barrel chest look about them. Their ap apical pulse is often displaced uh, laterally. Orthopnea is often present because of the abdominal pressure that's pushing up on the diaphragm. And the respirations will often change in character. They may become very shallow the later uh, the pregnancy continues. They may complain of shortness of breath as a result of the uh, again, of that abdominal pressure. In the elderly, they may have increased kyphosis, which is that uh, cervical spine curve, which is normal, but it should not be um, uh, exaggerated. They may have a barrel chest appearance. Their bony prominences may look more prominent as a result of the decreased subcutaneous fat. Um, they may be fatigued during the exam or maybe hyperventilate, so you may have to take this very slowly. You may not be able to get your uh, elderly folks with COPD to uh, be able to uh, do the deep breath and hold it and the deep breath and blow it out and hold it till I tell you to take another breath instructions that you need for diaphragmatic excursion because they just don't have the lung capacity. You may need to rest at certain times during the exam in order to let them get their chest, to get their um, their um, breath back. Okay. 
All right, our practice exam question. I've got a patient with a 20-year history of cigarette smoking and a productive cough. What advantageous breath sound would you most likely hear during your assessment? Strider, B, ronchi, C, coarse rails, or D, vesicular breath sounds? The correct answer is B, B being ronchi. A productive cough and a history of cigarette smoking indicates the possible presence of secretions in the bronchial tree and that is uh, what causes ronchi. So um, strider is a condition most often seen in children. Uh, C, which is coarse rails, caused by fluid, not by secretions. And D, vesicular sounds, it's not an adventitious breath sound at all, that's a normal breath sound. So this is the end of our lecture for the thorax. Uh, I will post this as a slidecast and also as a podcast. You can subscribe to the po uh, podcasts by clicking on the subscribe with iTunes or Yahoo music button that you'll see on the podcast uh, website. Uh, and then you can use that to either listen to them on an MP3 player or burn them to a CD. Uh, and this, uh, and then you can, you know, view the slide class as often as you like. If you need to, if you have any questions about any of the information presented here, please feel free to contact me. And uh, next week we'll be back with the cardiovascular system.